0: Hi, I'm Dan Premat, and welcome to Axios Recap, presented by Google. Today's Monday, November 30th. Stocks are down, vaccine hopes are up, and our minds are on Georgia. In five weeks from tomorrow, Georgians will go to the polls, again, this time to vote for both of their U.S. senators after no one managed to meet the requisite 50% threshold on November 3rd. Why it matters? This special election will effectively determine control of the U.S. Senate. If Republican incumbents David Perdue and Kelly Loeffler prevail, then Mitch McConnell gets to keep his gavel and make life much harder for the incoming Biden administration on everything from legislation to cabinet and judicial appointments. If Democratic challengers John Ossoff and Raphael Warnock win, well, that puts the Senate at 50 50, with Vice President elect Kamala Harris as the tiebreaker. In short, the next two years of politics and all that flows from it is in the hands of Georgia voters on January 5th. Three quick things to know. First, Perdue got more votes than did Ossoff on November 3rd, the same November 3rd in which Joe Biden narrowly beat Donald Trump in Georgia. Kelly Loeffler got fewer votes than did Raphael Warnock. But the group of Republicans in her race did get more aggregate votes than did the group of Democrats Two, Trump still refuses to believe the November 3rd results in Georgia, despite a hand recount. And there are some Republican concerns that his fraud claims could suppress Republican turnout. After all, why go vote if the outcome is predetermined? Three, she's not on the ballot, but past and future Georgia gubernatorial candidate Stacey Abrams may be the key to the Senate results, as she's widely credited with spearheading Democratic voter registration and get-out-the-vote efforts earlier this month. Bottom line, the future of America lies in Georgia. So in 15 seconds, we will speak to Roy Barnes, the former Democratic governor of Georgia. But first, this we're joined now by former Georgia Governor Roy Barnes. Governor, can we just start kind of big picture Georgia politics here from your perspective? Is Georgia still a red state that happened to go for Joe Biden or is it truly a purple state at this point when it comes to national politics?
1: It's purple state. It's been coming that way for a long time. Uh, I live in the county that elected uh, Newt Gingrich. So you can imagine how red it was. And it was not uncommon in those days. I remember one time that when I was running for the legislature back in the 80s, that my legislative district went over 80% for Ronald Reagan. Now that's a Democrat and so you can see how much it's changed but Georgia has been changing Hillary Clinton closed you know the gap here and we've been watching it close about 2 or 3% every presidential election and every gubernatorial election so it's a purple state without question in my mind
0: from your perspective what best explains that narrowing gap
1: several things one is that you have a growing urban suburban area in the Atlanta area. It's now over 55% of the total vote in Georgia. Now, that includes some excerpts that are still red, but they are beginning to change, too. And so what's happened is we've had an urban area. We have higher educated, particularly women that are professional. And uh, it's been moving to the Democratic side because that demographic is moving to the Democratic side.
0: Can you just try to unpack the November 3rd results for me a little bit and help me understand them? So Joe Biden wins narrowly over Donald Trump from the presidential race, but on those same ballots, those same voters, Purdue beats Ossoff by a wider margin than Biden beat Trump. If you take Kelly Loeffler and Doug Collins combined, they did better than Raphael Warnock. So help me understand, are people basically ballot splitting? And if so, why?
1: It is some ballot splitting. But just remember this, the further you go down the ballot, even though there's all kind of advertising and everything else, people return to an incumbent generally, and both of them were incumbents. Now, I think that may be different on January the 5th because it's the only two elections that you have and there's more attention to it. I was here when this county changed from Democrat to Republican. The first county-wide elected official that we had that was a Republican was in 1976. It was really 1986, 10 years later, until it permeated down to the legislative seats. And then it made a change. This year, we elected every countywide Democrat on the ballot in my county of Cobb County. So it's already changing. It just takes longer for it to change down ballot.
0: You said it might switch on January 5th. How do you see January 5th as being different than November 3rd when it comes to these Senate races? Obviously, it's not a on the lawful side. It's not a runoff. It's just two candidates instead of several. But broadly speaking, what's the argument for why Democrats might be able to flip those two seats when the same candidates just ran a few weeks ago and didn't get as many votes?
1: Because they're the only ones on the ballot and they're not mixed in with everybody else. They're not mixed in with Donald Trump and Joe Biden.
0: You're right. They're not mixing with Donald Trump and Joe Biden, but Joe Biden won. So isn't it potentially, as you say, people return to incumbents, what they know, isn't it potentially a negative for the Democratic candidates that they're the only ones on the ballot?
1: No, because uh, the more attention you give to them, and particularly the more you time to Donald Trump, then the more the chance you have of having a Biden repeat rather than a fall off. It's all turnout. And when you have a president and two senators attacking their own secretary of state, who's a Republican, saying there was fraud in the ballot, why would a Republican have a, why would they come back out? If they think that it's fraudulent, as the leader says that it is, and not only that, that you have two candidates who have tied themselves very closely to Donald Trump. And that has become even more apparent in the media advertising that we've had since the November 3rd election.
0: When it comes to turnout, obviously, we're not expecting on January 5th what we had on November 3rd. Even in highly followed races, you almost never get a, a larger turnout than you get when there's a presidential race on a ballot. You talk about kind of potential suppression of Republican votes because people you know, feel the election's rigged. Trump is kind of telling them it's rigged on the Democratic side. Do you not believe the Democrats hit a ceiling on November 3rd in terms of turnout?
1: I don't think so. Of course, you know, it's all who turns out. Generally, large turnouts favor Democrats. But I believe that you're going to see the largest turnout for a runoff election in Georgia's history. There's just too much interest in it. And there's too much airtime that's on it. There's too much effort that is being put out there. I talked this morning to a group that have been canvassing Democratic voters. They knocked on 15,000 doors last week, and I don't see that effort among the Republicans.
0: This is a nationalized or a federalized election. This is obviously two federal seats. Is there anything Georgia-specific that voters in Georgia are looking at that folks outside watching this race might not realize, anything specific to the state and issues in the state?
1: Well, yes. Reverend Warnock, I have been, I've known him for years and years. He has a new spot out in which he quotes the Bible, talks about our duties to our fellow human beings. That is an area that has only been left to Republicans in the past. And I believe that's going to have an effect.
0: Do you see any possibility that the vote? on January 5th could get split? In other words, that one Democrat and one Republican could win?
1: It's possible, but I think it is much more likely that if one of them wins, the other one wins, because it's who comes to the polls. And if the Democrats come to the polls and the greatest number, both of them are going to win. Both of them are good candidates.
0: Georgia is obviously, if a purple state, very, very uh, closely split, particularly when you look at the Biden-Trump numbers. Is there any talk locally about trying to follow the Maine model, the Nebraska model, to split electoral votes in the state?
1: No, there's not. And with a Republican governor and a Republican General Assembly, I don't believe they'd ever do that. They'll hold on as long as they can. What the Democrats need to do is give more attention to rural Georgia. Georgia's a huge state geographically. We're the largest state Geographically east of the Mississippi, we have a large rural area, and I don't see Democrats communicating with rural voters very well. Now, does that mean that they suddenly will change them from Republican to Democrat? No, but it will change the margins. If you don't get beat 80 20 or 70 30 and you get beat 65 35, those are votes that can make the difference statewide. And I think Democrats need to. Communicate
0: more with rural voters. There's been obviously a lot made of the Democratic get out the vote efforts and, and registration efforts, particularly Stacey Abrams, et cetera. Has that effort expanded to rural Georgia enough? And do you think it's something that translates to rural Georgia?
1: I do think it's uh, something that translates to rural Georgia. We have, like all southern states, what's called the rural black belt, and they generally have underperformed. Now, African Americans are performing at or above their percentage of the population. About 30% of the African-American vote is what the percentage is in Georgia. And that's equals to the population. And in fact, in some cases, they've overperformed. And so I think that there's much more effort to be done in rural Georgia among rural African-Americans and among rural whites. Listen, Sanford Bishop is in Southwest Georgia. He's an African-American congressman. His district is not overwhelmingly black, but he gets reelected every two years because he has communicated, and particularly on agricultural issues, has become somewhat of an expert on agricultural issues. And he's cut into that rural white vote because they trust him, he doesn't scare And so there's plenty of room to grow there for Democrats. And I think the growth is not only among African-American registration and voter, but also among educated white women and rural whites that have some attention given to.
0: Former Georgia Governor Roy Barnes, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. Welcome back. What we're watching is the latest in the vaccine race. Three developments. First, Moderna said it will file today in the US and in Europe for emergency use authorizations. It also said that no one who received its vaccine during phase three trials developed severe COVID symptoms. Two, AstraZeneca says it needs to conduct a new clinical trial for its vaccine following scrutiny over how its initial efficacy data was obtained. Three, United Airlines is placing cargo planes in strategic locations throughout the US for rapid distribution of Pfizer's vaccine, which could begin within weeks if granted FDA approval. We are also watching for a major merger in the cloud software space, with CNBC reporting that Salesforce could announce a takeover of Slack after market closes on Tuesday. It would be for more than $20 billion and the largest software merger in years. And finally, we are watching an uptick in negative online reviews of Yankee Candle Candles, claiming that the products don't have any scent. So why is that happening? Well, here's a clue from one reviewer who wrote, quote, what a waste, there's virtually no scent to these at all. If I wasn't confined to my home because of COVID, I would return these for sure. Yeah, 2020 cannot end fast enough. And we're done. Big thanks for listening. And to my producers, Tim Shovers and Naomi Shaven, Have a great National Mason Jars Day, and we'll be back tomorrow with another Axios Recap.